Welcome and thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The Bible is full of characters big and small. Today we center on a woman we know, but in this instance, she's easily overlooked. But what she says has monumental impact. Here's First Pres Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung with the sermon, A Woman with a Dream. Good morning, my name is Jenny Sung. I'm one of the lay pastors and executive coordinator on staff. And we are in the sermon series called Grit and Grace, where we focus on different women in the Bible and what their stories can teach us about God's character and his will, and women who are gracious and gritty and tenacious, and they are obedient to be used by God in any season, no matter how little or how much they have in life. Pastor Steve last week preached this amazing sermon about this poor widow who put in everything she had, everything into the temple offering. And this was uh, when Jesus walked the earth. And today we study from another gospel in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus walked the earth. This was during his last days on earth. Uh, We look into the action of one single woman and it's one single verse. A total of 38 words accounted that reveals a warning. And it's a revelation of innocence and the truth about the charges that are being brought against Jesus. And then she acts to share this revelation with her husband who holds in his hands the very physical life of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now we know from an eternal perspective that no human being held the life of Jesus Christ in his hands. Jesus is the son of God, one of the Trinity. He knew what he was doing and he chose to hold out his life. He knew of the mission and the goal of redeeming all of us back into a relationship with him and the Father. And so he chose to give his life as a living sacrifice for us. And it's really an act of love for you and for me. But in these verses, from the human perspective that we see, we see a precarious decision point for one governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And he's a Roman governor who can solely, with one mandate, either crucify Jesus or reject the charges that are being brought against him and set him free if he wants. Now, we also know that Pontius Pilate's wife, his counterpart, um, through historical research and some records, they think that her name was Claudia uh, and also referred to as Procula or Procla or Percula. And we know that in the scriptures, it says very clearly that she uh, received a dream, a dream, a revelation that was so moving, so gut-wrenching, and so disturbing to her that she's faced with a decision, right? What is she gonna do? Does she act upon this knowledge, this revelation that she has of this innocent man, or does she keep quiet and not say anything? She doesn't have the authority to actually free Jesus herself, but she's close to the person who can. And so she sends an urgent message to him, literally while he is on the seat of judgment. In many ways, today's passage gives us wisdom that we can all have a decision to make. And whether it's on the periphery or in the center where we have all the authority, we all can decide to act or not act upon whatever God is saying to us in this moment. We have a choice. We could be obedient or we can do nothing. We can turn towards Jesus or we can reject what he's saying. We can receive the love he has for us 
or we can let fear and doubt and pride and even selfishness get in the way. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit and what God is doing. Will you pray with me as we dive into today's passage and ask for God's truth and revelation in our lives? Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your truth, that you are the beacon of light that guides us and centers us and reveals your righteousness. Open our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Will you increase as we decrease? Amen. Will you stand with me as I read God's word from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Starting from verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. And at that time, they had this notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man. For today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And all of them said, let him be crucified. Then Pilate asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And then the whole people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Wow, look at the scene. There's so much going on, right? We've got accusations, interrogation, a disturbing dream. There's a mob that's about to riot and shouts of crucify him. Yikes. And in the midst of this Jesus, silent, calm, like in the center of a storm. Now let's look a bit of what's going on around here to help us out. And we know that by this point in the passage for today, Jesus has stirred up so much controversy and he has stirred up so much fear with the chief priests and religious leaders of the day called the Sanhedrin that they not only reject Jesus, but they really go extreme. They decide to scheme and to lie, to arrest Jesus and to kill him. It's just in the last chapter in verses three and four. They say, it says that the chief priests and elders, 
assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, they schemed to arrest Jesus and kill him. I want to show you this painting. Um, It's called Christ Before Pilate. We're going to study this painting a bit today. It was drawn in 1881 by a Hungarian artist named Mihai Munkachi. And he was known, he was famous for these large biblical drawings. And in this painting, you see the man on the seat of judgment who is Pontius Pilate. And there are people around him. You see the chief priests, and you see the elders and the religious leaders. And there's that one guy who's just pointing at Jesus, like accusing him. And that's probably Caiaphas, the chief priest. And Pilate, look at his body language, is sitting and his arms are crossed and he's frowning. He's just frowning. And he knows. He knows that these guys have accused Jesus out of jealousy, out of envy. Some verses say self-interest. And the chief priests and religious leaders, they are calculated. They know what they're doing. And you see even like a mob, you know, you can just see the guy with the hands up in the air. They knew that on the religious authority, they actually couldn't kill Jesus They knew that they had to get Jesus on a political charge and that they needed the governor to do that. And so we see more from the Gospel of Luke of this account. There are three charges brought against Jesus. Luke 23 verse 2 says, They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah the King. Now, the Sanhedrin knew that their charge of blasphemy, that Pontius Pilate would poo-poo that. Be like, oh, that's your religious squabbles. Take care of it yourself. So, they first bring a charge that Jesus is a revolutionary. That second, he's inciting the people not to pay their taxes. We know that's not true. And third, with claiming to be a king, right? Perhaps to rebel against Caesar. And we know that these are fabricated political charges. They knew those are the charges that Pilate could actually act upon. Have you ever been in this type of struggle? And maybe it's not not like a death accusation, but there is an accusation, and you know that there is blame put upon you, and it's just not true. Maybe it's a blame from family or your coworkers, or maybe it's your boss, and you know in the heart of hearts that it's just not true, that there's false witness. And maybe you're in school or being bullied or you're being targeted, and Man, it's just so hard. Every bone in your body wants to scream out and defend yourself. Jesus did not defend himself, and he actually understands the pain that you're going through. If this is your struggle, Jesus knows of injustice and false accusation, and he's here to give you peace and healing in his name. So many times Jesus stood before his accusers knowing the lies. And you know, Jesus is the son of God, so he knows their hearts. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He sees the motivation of the heart. He knows what's going on. But Jesus' values, he motivates, and he wants to perpetuate righteousness, justice, truth, goodness, and he wants to preserve humility to fight off the pressures of this world and the pressures of society. Jesus stood innocent before his very accusers and before the man who holds his life in his hands, but Jesus doesn't turn away from the task that's before him. He knows, he's focused on the mission that he was called to fulfill and carry out on earth. 
Now the woman we study in today's passage, she too knew Jesus stood innocent. In verse 19, she says, have nothing to do with that innocent man. Says that innocent man. And if you look at the translation, the word innocent means righteous, means just, correct, and by implication, therefore, innocent. She knows that. And she receives this from a dream that's so intense, so disturbing that she's suffering. And so she sends a message to her husband, an urgent message while he's on the seat of judgment. Now, when we think about dreams, we might think of them as kind of fairy, right? Like, oh, receive the word in a dream. It could be kind of like, you know, maybe it was a bad pizza kind of dream. You know, like, I don't know if you ever received, like, got dreams like you failed an exam or you got late to an exam. Do any of you still have those? Yeah? <laughs> or you, like, show up naked to a meeting or, like, you don't have any pants on, that, that kind of dream. And I'll tell you my latest bad pizza dream I'm kind of a foodie, and I love when I have the energy to prepare meals for events, and so I decided for a church event to make these wonderful vegetable skewers, and I spent all night marinating them and cutting them and basting them. And then in the middle of the night, I had this crazy dream. I dreamt that my 16-pound terrier had jumped on the table and the kitchen counter and eaten everything. That's what I dreamt. Doesn't she look like she might do that? She's a high jumper. And so I actually ran out of my room. I thought all the church food was gone. But alas, she was just sleeping innocently. Yeah, so it was just a bad pizza dream. So I'm not talking about those kinds of dreams. That was a bad pizza dream. But we know and we see in Scripture, the Word of God, that there are prophetic dreams, that there are numerous dreams where angels visit people and they reveal something, or, or in dreams there's a direction from God, or even people who are warned in a dream. The Gospel of Matthew, this book that we're studying, actually starts off with a dream. Um, remember Joseph, the husband of Mary, uh, Jesus' mother? In chapter 1, he's visited by a, uh, an angel in a dream, and this is because, you know, he finds out she's pregnant, and so he wants to quietly divorce her. And the angel, in the dream, comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And even in the Old Testament, we see like in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 17, it describes four young Israelites who are carried off to Babylon. Right? This is when they're exiled to Babylon. And it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And he goes on to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Pastor Jordan Sang, who is actually a pastor here, some of you, you may know him, uh, is also a, a speaker at the Hawaiian Islands Ministries Conferences and he's senior pastor at Blue Water Mission. He every year teaches on prophetic healing and prophecy and on dreams at the Honolulu Conferences. And he has a book um, that might be quite helpful for you. It's called Miracle Work, A Down-to-Earth Guide to Supernatural Ministries. And it's actually a really practical book. And Jordan Sang says, scripture suggests that supernatural revelation can happen in a ton of different ways and that God even seems to like being creative, right? He showed up to Moses on a burning bush. And judging from scripture and experience, 
You'll more commonly perceive a revelation through visions or impressions in your mind or through prophetic dreams during sleep. And he cites Jeremiah 1 and Luke 4 and Daniel 2. The Bible uses a rich variety of language to describe the experience of a revelation from God. And the point, I think, is to be open. He says, be open. Now, I know some of you might be like, okay, so it's in the scriptures, I get it. But like, it's not really for today, right? I mean, I don't really know of any current day examples. So let me tell you of a current day example. Because you are sitting in the very place where an elder at First Pres years ago, before we moved here, had a literal dream that we would be here. A dream, not like I dreamed a dream, but an actual dream in his sleep. Uh, the elder uh, was Don Parker, who was an elder here, and he was sleeping and had a dream that Pastor Dan preaching at a place called Ko'olau Golf Club in a robe. That was the dream. Now, I know he doesn't wear a robe anymore, but he was preaching at Kolau Golf Club. And this was back when the church was still in town. It was on Keomoku Street, and they didn't even know where the church would be going. In fact, when they first looked at the Kolau Golf Club, this place wasn't even for sale. And some of you know the miracle of Kolau's story and how God brought us here. So know that it was a prophetic dream uh, of an elder who was a huge part of this church, and it started there. It's amazing to see the community here today and what God is building, what God is doing in his kingdom. And it's not just here in the ministries. Now, some of the photos I'm going to show you is here. But I just want to say this is a very small fraction. There's so much more we're doing, right, in local outreach and international and out in the community. So Pastor Dan is preaching here, worship services. He's not in a robe, but he's often in his plaid shirt. And... You see here another picture of um, just the wonderful Christmas uh, worship services that we have here during Advent season. And then we see Mighty Moms. This is Mighty Moms. And it's a Bible study where moms could bring their kids and they can just get together and study the Word of God. It's every Tuesday. I love seeing the ushers and greeters welcoming people, welcoming people into community here. Um, this is Rooted, a discipleship course we have here. And just like Alpha or other small groups, we draw people into community and we pray together and we support one another and encourage one another and learn the word of God together. This is like um, that Thanksgiving. Um, we fed like 550 people here with turkeys that Pastor Dan and Pam brought. And... Ah, oh, the legacy of youth ministry. This is Jesse Makuakane, and he graduated, and he grew up at this church. And then the equipping of the youth ministries at the Honolulu Conference. That's at the Honolulu, um, the Hawaii Convention Center. And, and so this is just a very small picture of all the things that go on. Oh, and that's Dean Shepard. I just thought that'd be funny. He's dressed up as a Cuban, he clarified. And that's because when we were doing Ron Matthews' retirement party, we all dressed in, in costumes of different countries. So like I was like in a Korean hanbok and he came as a Cuban. So God is doing amazing, amazing things. And God talks to us through dreams. Yes, we see that. Going back to the painting here for today, the painting of Christ before Pilate, there's one voice of truth. Through a dream, she received a revelation. And amongst the voices of all the others in the room, of Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and the chief priests and scribes and the mob, she is the woman with the dream. 
She's at the center of the painting. I don't know if you can spot her right there leaning up against the wall. And I say, as you look at the scene, as you contemplate all the different characters, who are we in that room? Who do we relate to? Can we relate to any of the chief priests or the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders? Am I so offended and fearful of my position that I'm driven to scheme and to lie and to cover up, to preserve myself? Or am I the crowd? You see, like the guy and all these people yelling, am I the crowd? Do we really know what's going on? We're yelling crucify him because we're just blindly following what others are telling me. But I haven't looked into the eyes of Jesus. I haven't searched for the truth. I don't listen to Jesus at all because I don't really know him. I just listen to what the crowd says. And I don't even have to know Jesus for myself. Am I like Pontius Pilate, driven by self-protection? When the pressures of the world are just caving in, people trying to pressure me, telling me what to do. And I have to preserve my power. I have to preserve my status. So I ignore the truth, even though I know that Jesus is innocent. Do I stay distant, apart, say, that's your problem, I wash my hands, I'm not going to be a part of justice or truth? Do we fight in our workplace? Are we courageous and brave in our schools? And how about in our families, in our homes? Can we relate to the woman, the wife of Pontius Pilate, the woman with the dream who had a revelation of that innocent man, Jesus? I know I don't have much power and I'm on the periphery, but what can I do? What can I do with what I have, with the means that I have? Maybe I could send a message. Maybe I could be faithful. Who are we in the story? in this painting, and what is God telling you through this scene? It's in the last part of our passage that we see the choice, the decision that Pontius Pilate makes. Verse 24 said, when he saw he could do nothing, he actually felt helpless, and he saw that a riot was starting. He decides to do this Jewish ritual, this custom, where he takes the water and he washes his hands. He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. I distance myself. It's not my fault. And we think that Pilate thinks he's what, innocent? We see that Pilate tried. Um, in Luke 23, verse 4, he says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Then again, in Matthew 27, verse 23, we read that, why? What evil has he done? What evil has Jesus done? But they just shout louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him. And I wonder if he caves into the pressures thinking of, if I get a riot on my hands, another rebellion with the Jews, and if the word gets back to Caesar, he seeks to do what is best for himself in that situation. He succumbs to the pressures of the world with the pressure of the rules governed by the laws of fear, by corruption, and of power, of worldly power. 
It was just last week when Pastor Steve talked about fear. I don't know if you remember that great quote. It said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than the fear. It's not that we don't have fear in life. And Pastor Steve noted that it's our devotion to God and the widow-sized devotion to God's mission that will be something else more important than the fear that we're going through. And that God will help us to be courageous in times of pressure and struggle in the world. And we have a decision. We can either wash our hands clean and turn away responsibility, maybe turn a blind eye to justice, or we can, through Christ and through the power of his Holy Spirit, be courageous and be bold in the midst of our circumstances, wherever we are placed, whatever season of life that we're in. Whatever ritual that Pilate was enacting, we know that no like hand-washing ritual would really absolve the responsibility of his actions. He hands Jesus over to be crucified, and Jesus is mocked and beaten, stripped naked, and nailed to the cross to die. Today is Communion Sunday, and as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, and as the deacons and elders prepare to come forward, let's remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember that he was betrayed, false charges brought against him. Let's contemplate the depth of his sacrifice and his love for us. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Even as Pilate handed him over to be crucified, you realize Jesus died for him too. Even as the soldiers beat him, even as a chief priest spit on his face, Jesus died for them too. Jesus died for you, and for me, for the just and the unjust. He died for us no matter what our past, no matter our mistakes, no matter our fears. This is the depth of his unconditional love. Jackie Pullinger, a missionary to Hong Kong, she works with, with people in gangs and prostitution, with drug dealers, and she says, Jesus would have died for you if you were the only person alive on the face of the earth. Jesus would die for you if you were the only one. That's how much he loves you. Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may you always know the love of Christ deep in your hearts as you follow him. Amen. There's something about the truth. It clarifies, it defines. The truth, when we encounter it, points us to doing what is right. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, 
Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and Facebook. And if you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.